0: Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I left corporate America to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped late 2018 and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place to share our gold and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Ashley Callan believes you have to leave good to get to great, but it wasn't an easy road. In 2014, she tested positive for the BRCA1 gene mutation, most commonly known as the breast cancer gene directly after choosing to have a preventative double mastectomy, something she calls both the hardest and easiest decision she's ever made. Her husband, Dave, was severely injured in a helicopter crash, which left him with a broken back and a collapsed lung. While the parents of toddlers healed, Ashley preparing for reconstructive surgery and Dave in physical therapy, they also realized they were just surviving in all ways and that life is too short to settle for good. Ashley and I talk about the emotional fallout of removing her breasts, and what she saw as a sign of her femininity, the power of the family she has found within Police Wives of America, and the tough work Dave and Ashley had to face in order to strengthen their marriage after difficulty. We get deep in relationships and talk about communication, compassion, and hard conversations. Ashley also shares the rough spaces she and Dave navigated that then put them in the spotlight as national speakers for Bless the Badge law enforcement conferences and became the foundation of the book they are co-writing that drops later this year. Let's dig in i'm so excited to have in the studio with me today ashley kellen thank you for joining me in person you're welcome i'm so happy to be here yes absolutely i um i met ashley several months ago and you have such a beautiful story i was immediately like i feel like you should come on my podcast we met at an event um that uh it was bringing women together and we were kind of sharing stories and things like that and um we both come from professional careers you Mm -hmm. were an air traffic controller yep and i think what struck me about your story and that i wanted to talk to you about was like you just shine this like positivity and you've had some hard things happen and Mm -hmm. i wanted to kind of talk about that because out of such hard things you've created this really beautiful relationship with your husband that Mm -hmm. Ashley's writing a book right now and her publisher told her like this isn't a book about like you guys overcoming these hard things It's a love story and I wanted to dig into that because so many people find um, That in tragedy their relationships begin to diminish they begin to kind of break down So I kind of want to dig in a little bit. I know um, first and foremost in 2014 you tested positive positive. Um, for the, is it the
1: BCRA gene? Yeah, the BRCA1 breast cancer gene. So most people know it by the Angelina Jolie breast cancer gene because Mm -hmm. she's the one who kind of brought light to it, made it more famous when she tested positive for it and then underwent a preventative double mastectomy. And so I come from a long line of breast cancer. My mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer at 39 years old in both breasts. She she survived it. I always want to say that because everyone always thinks, "Man, is she alive? Is she okay?" Yeah. And she just celebrated twenty years oh, in remission. Yeah. Yeah, this year. So it was it was good. But we were young and she had a very aggressive breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I think all the doctors said she survived it because she had three little girls and had something to live for. Yeah. And I think it just goes to show just her spirit and her fighter spirit. And that's where I get a lot of my resiliency from, my positivity, my fighter spirit is from my mom and watching everything she went through with very young kids mm-hmm. at a young age. Yeah. So when my mom had the genetic testing, I, I had not had children yet. And she told us, I carry the breast cancer gene. I think you girls should get tested. I didn't want to know, to be honest. I was 21 years old at the time and thought, I'm invincible. I'm already high risk. I'm not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. If it happens, it happens, yeah. right? <laughs> that was my 21-year-old self mentality. Well, then fast forward a couple years, I get married. I have my own kids. And that changes everything. Absolutely. And I really decided, you know what, I need to take my health in my own hands. I can't leave it to chance because I have two beautiful baby girls who I want to be around for. Mm -hmm. So I got the genetic testing. I wasn't surprised when it was positive. Mm -hmm. And I made the decision to have the double mastectomy. And it was hard Mm -hmm. but easy at the same time. How quickly did you make the decision after finding out? Rather quickly, I remember sitting in my doctor's office with Dave, with my husband, and we were sitting there, and she came back in, and she said, the test results are positive. You carry the BRCA1 gene mutation, so you're at extremely high risk for breast cancer and ovarian cancer. When do you want to have the surgery? Mm. And I remember sitting there, not really fully processing yet, and I looked at Dave, and I was like, well, I mean, we have the girl's birthday party coming up, (laughs) and then it's my birthday, and then it's the holidays. Like, it's just not a good time. And I thought of all these reasons why I shouldn't have it done. And she looked at me and said, well, you're a ticking time bomb. It's not a matter of if you're going to have cancer. It's a matter of when. And I would much rather do the surgery, get it over with, than two years from now you'd be back in here battling breast cancer. Wow. And us going, well, we should have. Yeah. So she looked at Dave and said, do you think she should have it? And Dave was like, well, I don't want her to have cancer. Yeah, I think you should have it. So it's like, OK. She's <laughs> aggressive. She was aggressive. Yes.
0: But I mean, rightfully so.
1: Absolutely, and she—I adore my doctor. She mm-hmm. was fantastic, but that's what I needed. Yeah, because I think we can talk ourselves in and out of anything. Mm-hmm. We're our own worst enemy, and at the same time, I needed to have it done. Well, and yeah. you were—you were using all of these scheduling kind of
0: conflicts as a way of not, not actually meeting it, right? Yeah, not dealing with it. It's
1: much easier to say I'm planning a birthday party for a two- and four-year-old, right. Than I want to remove my breasts, right? That's a big statement, what you just said. Like, it just struck me when you said that because,
0: I mean, let's be honest, they are such a huge part of us as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. It's how we feed our children. It's their, you know, we kind of honor them in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. And so it's a huge decision to kind of decide that you're going to be done with them to some extent. But they they could, I mean, you had
1: such a a big reason. How long after did you have the surgery? So I had the surgery the end of July. Mm -hmm. So it was about eight weeks later. And thankfully I was planning a birthday party and I was working full-time as an air traffic controller at the time with a crazy schedule. So I never really had time to let it sink in to what I was really doing, Mm -hmm. which was good and bad. I think not thinking about it made me be able to sleep at night. (laughs) It kept the anxiety at bay. Sure. But the two weeks after the surgery were really hard. It was a very hard surgery. I questioned why I did it so many times. I was really sick afterwards. I got almost depressed. I did get depressed. I fell into a really dark place. Mm -hmm. I cried a lot. I thought, like, what did I do? And as silly as it sounds to some other people, like, well, you saved your life. You know, you chose to have this double mastectomy, but it beats getting cancer. Mm -hmm. And I used to think, yeah, but I don't know my breasts are a sign of my femininity you know and it's it was a hard decision and I really I didn't I don't want to say I regretted it but it really I really had a hard time with it dealing with it after the fact yeah and I had a couple of drains in each side for two weeks I couldn't shower by myself Dave had to wash my hair in the sink he had to give me sponge baths it was a constant reminder yes I didn't want to look at my chest I was all bandaged up and then afterwards, after a couple of weeks later, probably about three or four weeks later, I started going in for my weekly fills because what they do is they put spacers in your chest to expand the chest cavity mm-hmm. while you're healing. And you go in once a week and you get saline injected to them and you do a little bit over every week. And, you know, they slowly expand mm-hmm. and probably my second fill, I was sitting there and I really feel like, God intervened. Like I was in a bad place. And I walked into the waiting room and it was packed. And I sat down next to this lady and we started talking. And she was my age. And sorry, I always get upset when I talk about it. So she was my age and she had a son who was my daughter's age. And she was obviously in a wig. So I knew she was going through cancer. And she started telling me that she was on her second round of chemotherapy because her cancer went to her bones Mm -hmm. before they found it. Uh, And right then and there, I was like, I felt bad and guilty for feeling so bad because I didn't have cancer, I wasn't sick, I wasn't fighting to save my own life while I'm trying to raise babies at the same time. Right. So I remember leaving the office that day. I called Dave and I'm crying and I'm like, I'm and he's like, What's wrong? Right. Now, what, <laughs> you know, because he answers the phone. Yeah. And I'm crying and he's like, Oh my gosh, what now? Like I thought everything was okay. Thank you. And I told him the story about her, and I said, I'm done. I'm done feeling sorry for myself. I made the right decision, and I know she was placed in my life for a reason because I could not snap myself out of it. And that one conversation with her and just seeing what I could be going through Mm -hmm. made me just so thankful that I made the decision. And unfortunately, I never saw her again, so I pray every day that she beat it and she is living the high life somewhere, raising those babies and just kicking butt and taking names. That was... That's what it took to really make me come to terms with my decision. And then about four months later on New Year's Eve, my husband was in a helicopter crash. So I had the spacers in my chest. My girls were two and four. My husband was in a helicopter crash. He ended up with a broken back. He had two compression fractures in two of his lower vertebrae. He had a broken elbow. He had a sprained wrist. Um, Both his lungs partially collapsed. And that, I felt like, the world hit me. <laughs> the world hit me hard. I remember standing in my kitchen after the fact a couple days later, and I had what felt like boulders on my chest. I was two weeks out from reconstruction. Dave's sitting there on the couch in a back brace. He can't even get off the couch by himself. I feel like the world's imploding on me. I've got a two and a four year old. I'm still working full time, and I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to get through it? One of the things I wanted to make sure, like you share, you were
0: on your air traffic control. Mm-hmm. You were on the phone with him when this came down or on the radio with him when this went down. That's, yeah. a, that's a that's you've just gone through this big surgery and this emotional kind of um, reckoning mm-hmm. with yourself, right? And then you're watching your husband hurt. Well, so
1: that was actually the first time.
0: Oh geez, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize yeah, there there's, there's
1: two engine failures. We've had a unique decade, I guess. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, the first time, we had only been married less than a year. And the first time he lost his engine, which was uneventful in the terms of helicopter engine failures. But I was actually there, traffic controller, talking to him. And all I heard was him say that he's going down over the radio. I looked up on the radar scope, and he had fallen off it. Uh, I got really upset, obviously, because I didn't know if he was alive. Because we all know what helicopter crashes look like. We've all seen the pictures, seen the movies and it took about 20 minutes to hear that he was okay. He had done a textbook auto rotation to the middle of the street and was fine, but being the air traffic controller talking to him and it being my husband, I mean I'd gone through a lot of different stressful situations when it comes to air traffic over the years, Mm -hmm. but when it's someone you love and your best friend, and it takes that 20 minutes felt like An eternity Mm -hmm. so yeah that was about 10 years ago and then this next event luckily I wasn't working on New Year's Eve but it so when I got the phone call he actually called me and he when he I answered he said I actually was putting the girls down for a nap and so I just answered and said babe let me call you back I'll call you when the girls go down and he said Paul and I just crashed and we're laying on the side of this road and then the phone hung up so of course here we go again. Right? Right, right, right? The emotions. And so I immediately call his phone back. It goes right to voicemail. At this point, I'm now crying. My 2-year-old and 4-year-old are crying. They're following me down the stairs. I'm in a panic. I call the hangar. And one of the guys answered. And there was a lot of commotion in the background. And he said, I know they're alive, but I know they're hurt. You Mm -hmm. need to get to UMC. You need to get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I called my best friend. I don't even think she said hello before I said Dave crashed. And then I saw a phone number coming through, so I hung up on her. And it was the officer who was in the ambulance with him. Mm -hmm. And he said... You know he said I have to call you because they took when the fire department showed up they took his phone and everything and you know so that's why it had hung up on me and he said he can move his legs but his back is hurt mm. so then I went to the hospital and we he was very lucky um, we know for a fact somebody was looking out for them because he even says now he thought for sure that they were gonna die because they're only 500 feet above the ground because that's how low they fly it was 11 seconds from the time mm. the engine quit to the time of impact and there was power lines everywhere. They were over a very old part of Las Vegas. And he said he looked around and thought, there's there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. I just have to clear these power lines. And I pray I don't hit a house because I know we're dying, but I don't want to kill anyone on the ground. Mm. And so he pulled the guts out of the helicopter to clear a pair of power lines and then put it into the ground right below a set of power lines. And they touched down right in the middle of the ground Everybody who investigated and came out later told me, I don't know how he put that helicopter where he did. There is no explanation why they're still here. There's no explanation how he didn't kill anyone around him Mm -hmm. or themselves. And um, five years ago, his best friend had died on a rescue out here. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind that he wasn't looking out for them. And that's the reason that they're still here.
0: Wow. And I know he just celebrated, it was the five-year anniversary of his passing yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. And I know you, I mean, you have this huge um, family within law enforcement Mm -hmm. and you all, what I've learned more than anything, you all take care of each other and look out for each other. And um, I had uh, Amberly Lago on the podcast a while back and her husband was um, an officer. And she had been in a terrible motorcycle accident and everyone thought she was a cop because of just the support Mm -hmm. that that came through so what was it like in the days after the
1: crash the police wife community is fantastic when i first started speaking at law enforcement conferences i wanted to find a way to describe what it's like and what it's like to be part of this community and i was really struggling to Give justice where justice is due. And I heard Jen Hatmaker speak. Mm -hmm. And Jen talks about elephant circles and how in the wild when there's a woman, a woman, there's a female elephant who's giving birth and she's super vulnerable that all the female elephants in the whole pack or tribe, I don't know what you call it. (laughs) I don't know what you call a group of elephants. Right. But they all stand around her and they face outwards and they stomp their feet as loud as they can and they kick up dirt to tell all the predators that if they want to attack their sister at her time that she's most vulnerable they're going to have to get through them first. And I remember sitting there crying thinking that is what a police wife community is. Mm-hmm. We all come together, we back each other. It's hard to ask for help and I'm awful at it and pride gets in the way and I think yeah. I'm super mom and super woman and I got it, I got it. You know, I got this. I don't need any help. So I had a ton of texts and phone calls the day of the crash and the next day after. And I always said the same thing. Oh, we're good. Thank you. Because everyone says, what can I do for you? Do you need anything? And me being ridiculous and <laughs> prideful, right. and it would be like, no, we're good. We got it. No, we didn't have it. Like right. I've got toddlers. I'm trying to work. I, have, I can't take a full breath because of these boulders on my chest. And so the Our wives' group here, there's almost a 1,000 women in it, Mm. and they're phenomenal. And kind of the lady who started it all didn't believe me, and she knew I wasn't fine, so she started a meal train. That's amazing. And for, like, two and a half months, strangers, people we didn't even know, brought us dinner every night. Mm-hmm. And that was such a relief because I don't know about you, but what's for dinner is yeah. my nemesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially with little ones. Yes, with little ones. And then I got to, we have doctor's appointments and physical therapy, and I'm trying to work out how everything's going to work. And so it was such a blessing. And it was just amazing to see all these people who don't even know us, but who have our backs because yeah. they're part of the law enforcement family. And they just really came together and lifted it up, lifted us up, supported us, I mean, let us know. Like, it's gonna be hard, and the road to recovery is hard, and we don't know what it's gonna look like. Will Dave ever fly again, physically, emotionally? But well, like, we got you. Like, we got you back. Whatever you need, and that was just. Sometimes you just need someone to go. It's okay. Yeah. Like, it's it's okay. And you can That's be in your be pain, and you can <laughs> yes. be upset, and you can be th- it, where you are today. Mm-hmm. We'll take care of the perimeter. Yeah. Stand in the middle. Stand in the middle oh, of the I circle, because it's your time. and there's gonna be other times when you're gonna be on the outside of that circle protecting someone else Mm -hmm. but just take your time in the circle and that's not a bad thing it doesn't mean you're a weak person it doesn't mean you're a bad mom or a bad wife because you can't do it all it just means you're human
0: what was your relationship like with um, with your husband after like I know he's going through physical therapy Mm -hmm. you're going through reconstructive surgery you've got little kids at home you both I mean what were the conversations like? What was it like when like everyone's in bed and it's just the two of you? Um,
1: Survival, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, at that point in our lives, we were working opposite schedules because for childcare reasons, mm-hmm. so we didn't have a day off. We actually, up until. February hadn't had a day off together in eight years Mm -hmm. because we needed to work opposites for childcare reasons. He'd work swing shift. I'd be on days. And so we kind of passed in the wind a lot. Mm -hmm. And then when that happened, it was our whole world was turned upside down. And it was how do we manage all of this? How do we make it all work? So I felt like instead of being a married couple with that really emotional connection, it almost turns into survival mode. Mm -hmm. And every conversation is around how are we going to make tomorrow work? how are we going to get to the doctor's appointments? How are we going to take the kids to preschool? What do I need to change my work schedule to look like? What babysitter do we need to come over? How do we just how do we make it all work? Mm-hmm. And it just takes and then you're emotionally drained as it is. Yeah. So it definitely put a lot of strain on our marriage. Um, I and then I also had the question in the back of my mind, are you going to fly again? Mm-hmm. You know, that's always hard because I know it's his calling. He's really good at it. And he's one of the rescue pilots. So he goes out into the mountains on night uh, night vision goggles. I see them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And these people would die if they didn't go out there and get them. Yeah. And so I know he loves what he does and he's good at it. But on the selfish side, I want my girls to have their dad. Sure. You know, like, I don't want to be a widow. Mm -hmm. I've seen way too many of that Mm -hmm. in the last 10 years. And so I would ask him a couple different times. And, you know, he would always say, no, I want to fly. Because at the time, he too wasn't at a place where he was okay being emotionally vulnerable about the situation. Mm-hmm. But law enforcement was different back then than it was now. Even five years ago, it was, everybody's the tough guy, yeah. right? It's We don't talk about emotions. We don't talk about PTSD. It's just when your body is physically able to get back out there, you get back out there. Right. And so that was his mentality. And that was always, and there was a lot of strain when we would have that conversation because he didn't understand. He viewed it as me not being supportive of him and his career and his dream. And then I viewed it as him not caring about my feelings and him putting, you know, work above his family, which none of that was true. We just weren't communicating. We were just hearing what we thought the other person was saying.
0: Well, and that happens so much, like when people are experiencing something really traumatic together, right? You're both healing, like these scars and wounds within. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get clear on what I'm dealing with and what you're dealing with, you're coming to each other as wounded people. Yes. And I've seen a lot, you know, for for me, my experience has been with infertility and watching couples um, who cannot have a child or lose a child, and then how that affects that affects them. Um, And so many marriages fail through the course of that because they're very vulnerable. It's like, I'm a man, but I can't have a child. I'm a woman, but I can't bear you a child. Yes. You know, what are our, you know, our true values and how do we, your identity, I think kind of gets wrapped up in it Mm -hmm. a little bit. And if you're not kind of like clearing the space to talk as a couple and be like, what are you going through? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What am I going through? So what did you guys do? Like what was, what were the steps out? I am so excited to finally announce what I am working on because it has been so hard not to talk about it. Today, Gold is brought to you by Live Media and I couldn't be more thrilled. Live is an app that will launch Christmas 2019. I have partnered with a team previously of Disney Pixar who want so deeply to use tech for good and we're using tech for great. I have a special VIP experience built out and planned for my Gold listeners. You guys have been on this journey with me, so I can't wait to introduce you to my baby. Through mindfulness and accountability offerings, including meditation, breath work, intentional living routines, challenges, and lifestyle coaching, Liv will provide you with the tools, community, and support you need to live your very best life, leveling up in every aspect. Live meets you where you are and grows with you. Each week, your Live Lab will be curated with talks, articles, meditations, visualizations, challenges, and support to help you move your goals forward in 90-day increments. At the end of 90 days, we will celebrate your accomplishments with you before assisting in selecting those goals you'd like to include in the next 90. Available to you at all times is a phone or chat session with an accountability coach, a master coach, or through an email submission to Dear Live so that we can support you every step of the way. Live is your lifestyle and productivity concierge a thoughtful guide, and an intuitive coach to help you get out of your own way to create, to pay it forward, because a healthy you today means a healthier world tomorrow. Gold listeners will receive a free 30-day VIP experience. That means access to all of the bells and whistles by using code GOLDVIP, all caps, at loveisviral.com. Again, that is loveisviral.com, code GOLDVIP in all caps. Join the movement. Wrapped up in it Mm -hmm. a little bit. And if you're not kind of like clearing the space to talk as a couple and be like, what are you going through? (laughs) Yes. What am I going through? So
1: what did you guys do? Like what was what were the steps out? So what really kind of changed was about two years ago. So for a couple years after everything happened and he went back to work, he fully recovered. I recovered from what I was going through with my surgeries and everything. We kind of put everything behind us. Things got more normal again. But we were still back to working opposite schedules. Mm. We were back to the grind. But really, life almost had a little bit more clarity for both of us in that situation. And we really realized, okay, something has to give. Mm -hmm. Something has to change. Because we cannot just keep going through the motions, or life's going to tear us apart. We really need to look at, okay, how do we help? How do we have life pull us together versus push us apart? Because right now, we're just going through the motions. Like We love each other. We are each other's best friends. We are committed to our marriage. But our marriage is not as good as it could be. It's okay, And from the outside looking in, we've got it all, right? We've got the house, the cars. We go on vacations. We've got the jobs. But at the end of the day, what are you sacrificing for that? Right. So two years ago, we were on a Disney cruise. And the girls were at the kids club. And we were at one of those adult-only restaurants and having dinner. And we just really started talking about, where do we go from here? How do we make the changes that we need to change? How do we give up the good to get to the great? Mm -hmm. And that kind of became our thing over the next year. And we really decided, Air traffic wasn't where my heart was. The rotating shift work, it just was draining me physically. It was, dra- it was exhausted mentally. I didn't feel like I was showing up as my best self for my husband, for mm-hmm. my kids, for my friends. And I desperately needed a change. But that's scary. Change is scary. And I feel like it paralyzes you. Mm-hmm. And then I really, through talking to him about it, we realized, okay, it's not starting over. We're going to start right where we're at, right here today and we're gonna pivot 90 degrees and we're gonna walk in a different direction. So what does that look like? And it really, it was the first time I think we had really hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And then a few months later, we attended Bless the Badges, the organization that we speak with. Um, And I am heavily involved with a nonprofit called Police Wise of America. So Police wise of America, we had sponsored Bless the Badge to come to Vegas and Dave and I attended the marriage conference and afterwards we were talking to the founders and we just started sharing our story and she said, we would love for you guys to join our team and to be guest speakers at as many conferences as you can. We know schedules are crazy and he's still working and you're transitioning and all this stuff. So she was like, whatever you guys can do, we'd appreciate it. And two months later, we spoke at our very first conference in Dallas and as we were preparing our PowerPoint and our speaking points and putting together audio and pictures. It was the first time we walked through our journey together of how far we've come in the past decade. And after we spoke at that conference for an hour, we just had so many people show us so much love and I mean, people cried with us, they laughed with us. It was just so fun and we really felt like this was our calling. Like okay. This is what we were made to do. We walked through some really hard things and we came out even stronger on the other side. Mm-hmm. And now we've been given a platform to share that story and inspire others. Yeah. I and mean, that was two years ago and now You know, We've spoken at quite a few. We're writing a book. We're really open about our story and our struggles. And we're in a better place now than we ever have been because we cleared the air in between us. And we really got to talking about what does this all look like? And really through speaking and sharing our story, it gives you an opportunity to look back 10 years ago at things that have happened and to really peel the onion back and talk about being vulnerable and how did we feel then? And looking back on it, like, man, if we would have had these conversations back then, right. it would have prevented a lot of things. Well, you talked about like when
0: all of this went down, like he had that kind of like tough guy kind of thing going mm-hmm. on, right? And so now, you know, even with the book, like he has to get vulnerable. He yeah. has to kind of, and is he much more comfortable in that space? Is it easier now because you guys have opened up to tough conversations? Are they easier to
1: come by? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think things are just changing in law enforcement in general. I think it's getting more there's more of those conversations that are happening. Mm. And I think just in overall with everybody as a society, I think the the whole self-care notion and self, you know, I don't know if self-help is the right word. Maybe it is. discovery. Is discovery what I'm hearing lately. Yeah, yes. self-discovery. Like, exactly. And you know, you just you see it being more talked about and it's becoming more normalized. Yep. And people don't view it as Oh, you need to go see a therapist because something's wrong. No, you're going to see a therapist to be your better your best version of yourself. Yeah. Preventative medicine is becoming more and more normal.
0: I think that, that I mean, that's so true, right? Like every show you're watching, like I was watching Queer Eye for the Straight Guy last night mm-hmm. crying. You know because <laughs> they're they're fixing it's, you know, five gay men who are helping this guy who got shot cuz he was in a gang and mm-hmm. he's cha- turned his life around now that he's disabled and you're just like It's okay to open up and have conversations. And one of the things I think is really interesting for me is um, not being afraid of the hard conversations and conflict. If you have someone across the table from you who's willing to come to you with a pure heart and talk to you from their, their spirit and their soul, right? Because so many times we greet each other as wounded people and that's that hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people, people. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And if you're on the path together to get to the healed healed, it's a much different conversation. You mm-hmm. know, my boyfriend and I, we had a little bit of a spat last night, mm-hmm. right? Because he said something that triggered something that had happened in my past. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments where he's like, I can tell by the look on your face that I have upset you and I'm like, but I'm not sure. It's you in particular, Yeah. but you've hit something, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then he walked with me through it.
1: Which is amazing. Right? Yeah.
0: When you get to that place where you can look at your partner and be like, I love you. I choose you. Mm -hmm. And here's what I'm dealing with. I'm not sure if I'm mad at you
1: or I'm mad at myself. Right. You know, I think that that's a game changer. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. And a lot of the conversations we have with people who are struggling and I love my favorite part of speaking is what comes afterwards mm, and the conversations yeah. and the fellowship you have with people afterwards and with the women and with the couples and but so many people that's where they get hung up mm-hmm. is I like yes I love him and I want to be with him but I don't like him right now yeah I'm like but and that's okay because that's a relationship and let's be honest it's not all unicorns and rainbows and that's the stuff people don't want to talk about mm-hmm. it's like the Era of social media, right? Everything is great, 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 great. And then all of a sudden you hear they're getting divorced and people are shocked. Right. But they look so happy online. Yeah. Like, well, no, it's just a facade. Right. Like you're watching their highlight reel. You're watching their life <laughs> in squares. Right. You know, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And people are getting in this comparison trap where their life, their life must be perfect. And that's mm-hmm. we have a whole chapter in our book dedicated to our li- our marriage isn't perfect. Like mm-hmm. we've had struggles here have where we've struggled just because we're writing a book doesn't mean our marriage is perfect. And we really wanna be open about that because a lot of people I think give up and don't work through the hard things, don't have the conversations Mm -hmm. like you and your boyfriend did and process the things and walk through it hand on hand because they think, well, our marriage, he must not be the one, our marriage must not work because I don't like him right now. And because I have these feelings and it's okay, it's natural, everyone does, but it's what you do with them. That's so interesting. I read something the other day and it was like, be careful that you don't
0: find yourself at the end of your life alone because instead of saying this person's not good for me or or, we don't vibe or whatever, or I guess he's not the one, you haven't dealt with conflict resolution.
1: Yeah. Right. And I
0: think about that every time I'm like, oh, I'm about to invite this person out of my life, even with friendships. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but have I dealt with conflict resolution? If I approach them from a pure place and tell them, what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing and give them an opportunity to respond, could that be an opportunity for us to understand each other better? And ourselves. Right. Yeah, and I absolutely. think there's there's definitely the comparison thing I think is really um dangerous and it, it has been because even when like you go to dinner at another person's house or, or have an experience with them you see we see the way other couples interact oh they seem so happy mm-hmm. or oh they're toxic we just yes. we immediately want to like throw labels on people and kind of be like either we're better or worse than them
1: mm-hmm. no one ever gives each other the space to be like we're all getting by right we I mean let's be honest we're all just a hot mess trying to make it through the day right
0: <laughs> well I, I I read something too that I like totally resonated with me where it was like no one has it figured out nope not one person has it figured out. We are using our life experiences and the mistakes and the tragedies and the triumphs to just make the next best decision every single day. And I think that's where it kind of comes down to is having that compassion for self and other.
1: Yes, And absolutely. recognizing
0: that relationships are really beautiful things. They're there to serve you, mm-hmm. to help you grow and um, – I think that's really beautiful. Do you guys have any practices that you've incorporated into your marriage to help with the hard conversations or even with just um, coming together? Like, do you ever find like, oh, we're orbiting off into different areas and like one of you throws a flag or something? Like, how do you do it?
1: Yeah, we've really started taking breaks if we need them because we're both very type A personalities. It just comes from our career. We're both in, we were both in careers that it was, you have to be 100% right till you're 100% wrong. Mm. And we've had to really learn how to not only communicate, but listen. Mm-hmm. List, truly listening has been hard for both of us and not, especially for me, because I, my brain goes a million miles faster than my mouth. Yeah. And so he's talking. I'm already coming up with my rebuttal. <laughs> and I haven't heard a word that he actually right. said. Right. And he is really bad at interrupting because mm. he'll say, he'll just start interrupting me. I'm like, you did it again. You just interrupted me. And that makes me feel disrespected and unheard. Right. I couldn't have said that two years ago, but right. now I can. And he's like, I just interrupt you because if I don't say it now, I'm going to forget. <gasps> My boyfriend says that. Yeah. <laughs> it <This> me <is> crazy. <laughs> and he's like, you just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I never, you never come up for air. So I never have a chance to say anything. So we can tell now when we're, and we both have triggers and we know sure. what to say to... Make the other person as mad as I am right now. Right. So we'll say, okay, we need to take a break. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I need twenty minutes to cool off. I need to get my thoughts together. And then we come back. I and do, that's helped. I call it
0: processing. Yes. So there's moments where I'm like, I need to process. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And he knows that I will come back ready to discuss, right? But right. there are times where I'm like, what you're gonna get from me right now is not positive. Yeah. I'm gonna come at you to either hurt you or out of anger or sadness, so I need to go process, and then mm-hmm. I can come back to you from a better space. But it's so funny with the interrupting. I get the same thing that it's like, I, if I don't tell you now, I'm going to forget. But then you're kind of like, wait a minute, I'm really – I can't remember what I was going to say. Right. So there's got to be a better – solution maybe we
1: should write it down i know like, we gotta figure it out if we're gonna talk about something everyone gets a pen and a piece of paper make a like, note make a note real quick yeah so yeah you don't so forget back to it mm-hmm, that's absolutely. so funny
0: i think it's just so important and like i like that right because like you find ways to adapt out of respect right and yes. i think that's the thing that's the most important to me is that there has to be a respect for self and respect for other yes and i think so many times we come into situations and we're ready we, get, we have our boxing gloves on mm-hmm. right and it's it's so many times unwarranted you know like it's so crazy this I don't know why this is really sticking with me the queer eye show last night Mm -hmm. like the guy was shot so he um they arranged for him to meet the man that shot him to ask him why Mm -hmm. why did you shoot me we weren't fighting I was fighting with someone else but why did you shoot me and so like he had held this for like seven years Mm -hmm. and couldn't seem to get past it and the guy said I had no malice in my heart but I saw that you had a gun and if I didn't shoot you you could shoot me And all of a sudden he was like, oh, they were in a violent, you know, mindset, both of, one went to prison, the other one's disabled, and they're both trying to like, you know, live better lives. But so many times, like, I mean, that's a very uh, big example, but I mean, so many times we have no idea why the other person across the table is talking to us in a certain way or treating us a certain way, unless we're kind of like, hey, let me get into your head a little bit.
1: Yes, exactly. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. We don't realize... The look on our face, mm-hmm. and we don't realize the tone in our voice. Mm-hmm. And tell someone says, "Hey, hang on a second. Like you're starting to raise your voice. No, I'm not. Well, I'm sitting across from you. you know? <laughs> so, I'm feeling something coming out. Yes, me. like I can feel your energy going to that place. So maybe right. like, we should take a second. And back when we first got married, we, you know, I used to live under the mindset of you never go to bed angry, mm-hmm. right? Like you never go to bed angry because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you have to resolve everything that night." Well, then you get to the point where, okay, I don't get off work till 1030 at night. And now I'm home and it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm mad about something. And now we're going to have this big, huge argument. And next thing you know, it's like 3 a.m. and we're beating a dead horse. Now we're both tired. It's not going anywhere. And I have to go to work the next morning or he has to go to work the next morning. Now, no one's no one has slept. We're still angry. We didn't resolve anything. Yeah. So I really think there's some truth to that. But at the same time, there is times when you just have to table things. And I you, agree. You know,
0: I so with um Lewis and I he did the same thing one time he got mad at me because I went to bed angry. Mm-hmm. So he got angry because I went to bed angry. Right. <laughs> and I and then, so just like and then the next morning he's like, "Oh, well." Like he and I'm like, "I'm finally over it. I've processed it. I've yeah. slept on it." And he's just he's now his mad is up here. Right. Right? Cuz like <laughs> you went to bed that made me so angry that you did that and it's so funny cuz I'm like, "I think we need to sometimes you just have to kind of like, okay, truce Mm-hmm. I love you and I respect you, Yes, but we're not going to be healthy doing this right now. Exactly. And I love you and I respect you and I need to process it and I need a minute and we'll deal with it, you know, when we're ready. But mm-hmm. when I go to bed, I might be frustrated, but I still love you. Yeah. There's still love there. Exactly. And I want to work through it. Um, I think it's just kind of changing paradigms. There's so much of what I see in relationship advice is old cliched quotes and yes. old things people used to say. Um that whole go to, don't go to bed angry or I just I think sometimes like we adopt these things that don't really they don't really they're not genuine they're just these saccharine quotes that are just yes. thrown over
1: situations and you kind well, of have to make it what it is Too like compatibility mm-hmm. so compatibility is a big one like especially with you know when people are dating people or looking for someone they're going to marry or even they've been married for 10 years they're like We just don't jive anymore Mm -hmm. like we just have grown apart Mm -hmm. and i always think well instead of being so worried about compatibility and i really think online dating plays into that right you take all these tests like who are you compatible with but you have to worry about unity yeah because if dave and i were to take those compatibility tests we probably wouldn't be compatible we're different in so many ways but we also are the same in so many ways Mm -hmm. but even bigger bigger picture stuff we're unified together
0: And you're growing together. And I think that's like the kind of the value that I'm recognizing is it used to be when I would date or look for a partner, I would, I would almost kind of, I would see them through this rosy lens of who I thought that they could be. Yes. Right. Rather than being like, oh, and a lot of times people will tell you who they are straight off the bat. Mm -hmm. they'll be like, I can be such a jerk. And you're like, oh no, I'm sure you're not. And later (laughs) on you're like, wow, that guy was really a jerk. Right. You know, like, and you're like, okay, so he actually told me. Um, and I think that's the thing too is what I, I've looked for in my partner is that the person was willing to grow with me mm-hmm. and be open and square up and be like okay tell me what you're feeling I'll tell you what I feel and a lot of times like we talked about it, it's an you're coming from different places, you're triggered from a past trauma. You've got, it has nothing to do with what actually went down and or it's a small shift that someone needs to make so that they understand, hey, when you do that, it makes me feel disrespected. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, I had no idea, I won't do that again because I never want you to feel that I'm disrespecting you. Just that conversation alone is like so
1: deep and and thoughtful.
0: Um, And it goes so far.
1: It does go far. I mean, because everybody will agree communication is the foundation of every relationship, whether that's with your children, with your spouse, with your boyfriend, your friends, whatever. But then it's such a hard thing to do. We all know and agree it's the foundation and we need to have strong communication. But I would say most people don't really know how to communicate and communicate with different people because everyone's communication style is different. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to, from what I see a lot of times, especially with wives, is it comes down to, they, you know, fear creates obstacles, but faith creates possibilities Mm -hmm. and I feel like people fear having those real conversations with their husband because what if he leaves me Mm -hmm. I don't want to make him mad like what if he doesn't love me well they let all this fear of all these things that they're now creating in their own mind Mm -hmm. become obstacles in their marriage whereas if they had faith in why they got married they had give your spouse some credit that he does love you and that you love him and your love is gonna pull you through and then it makes it easier to have the conversations because if you're not so scared of this outcome and you've told yourself this whole big story of why you can't tell your husband I really don't like it when you do this I feel disrespected and this makes me angry so you just bottle it all up inside and then next thing you know they blow up or he's never loved me he's disrespected me like it's our marriage is over and the other person's going well I don't even know what I ever did wrong right they seemed
0: okay that's one of the things that has frustrated me the most. Is like sometimes when people are like, even in friendships, when someone's mad at you and they're like, and I'm like, you, I don't, I don't know what I did. Like you got to right. tell me what I did. <laughs> I have no idea why you're so angry with me right now. Yes. Um, that doesn't seem fair, yeah. right? Yeah. Or they'll, they'll say then, I'm
1: not, I'm non-confrontational. I just can't talk to you about it because I'm non-confrontational. Well, it's not about being confrontational. It's just about being communicative. Let's, yeah. Like yeah. let's respect each other and respect our friendship enough to have the conversation because yeah. there's a good chance. You misunderstood me. I misunderstood you. Right. That's probably what happened. It's so funny. And
0: especially like with little ones, like I'm trying to help my daughter navigate friendships right now. Mm -hmm. And it's challenging, right? Because you realize that communication is such a gift, but we make it complicated with old stories and old patterns. And I think it'd just be so much easier to be like, she had a little friend that was mean to her the other day that was yelling at her. She's like, she said that I was annoying. And she was telling me what happened. And I'm like, okay. In my mind, I didn't say this out loud. But I'm like, I could see where she thought that you were being annoying. Right. But you probably could recognize some of her body language or things that she was doing. And so it's like helping them navigate. Like if your friend is going, ah, the whole time you're talking, stop. Yeah. Am I upsetting you? What's going on? Rather than continue, continue and until they blow up and tell you. And I'm just like wow, this whole preteen, like, she's eight. So, like, as I move through childhood to adolescence to preteen years, Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is complicated. Yes. Helping them, like, navigate all of this stuff. And we're, and I joke, barely, I think, like, my boyfriend and I do a very good job, but it's very purposeful, Mm -hmm. right? There's an intention there. There's a mindfulness in our relationship that, like, we're always available to talk to each other about our relationship or our children or where we're going, so that it's never off the table or never an uncomfortable thing. It's like, hey, I need to check in with you. Are we cool? Yeah. What's going on? I haven't talked to you about this. I feel like I haven't, and I'll even say like, I've been talking a lot about my projects. I haven't asked you a lot about yours. Mm -hmm. How are things going? Do you need to download with me? Because I realize I might be a little self-absorbed right now. Like.
1: Yeah, just to be able to kind of recognize sometimes your own behavior in your relationships I think is huge. Yeah, self-awareness is huge and I think it the other person really appreciates it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um any tips or tricks for the listeners as to how to deepen relationships, things that you guys do. I mean, is it just take the breaks and and talk. It sounds like it's really like communication and being
1: like a unified couple. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to find togetherness. Yeah. Um, And I think you have to still date your spouse. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. that's cliche and that's like a big Instagram hashtag nowadays, but it's so true. It's really easy, especially with kids and opposite schedules in life in general, to just forget that you're husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And so you, I mean, I think weekly date nights are huge. Mm And they don't have to be big, elaborate things. Like, there are so many times that we just have couch date nights. Mm-hmm. The girls are in bed. Like, we're like, okay, well, for an hour, we're just going to sit here, have a glass of wine, and talk. Yep. Or we're going to put on some silly TV show or whatever. But we're going to spend time, intentional time together. Mm-hmm. And the phones are going away. Yep. And we're just going to be a couple. Like, what would we do if we were dating? If we were dating, we probably wouldn't sit on the couch well I don't know things are different now but like, <laughs> 13 years ago you know when you go on a date you don't sit on the couch and you sit on your phone right right. right. Um, so we just really try to be intentional about it and I would tell people that you have to it's not selfish to go on a date with your husband mm-hmm. and I went through that I, mean, I had mom guilt so bad when yeah. the girls were little because I worked all the time and so to me when they were either at preschool or they had a sitter I felt guilty about getting a sitter for two hours so Dave and I could go to dinner Mm -hmm. because I feel like I didn't see them all day. And now I'm going to leave them with a sitter so I can go have dinner with Dave. No, that doesn't make sense to me. But I'm modeling what a relationship should be to them. Exactly. And kids feel, they feel love in a stable home. And even though, the, you know, even though they might cry and say, like, I don't want you to go, it's going to do them so much better for you to just leave them with the babysitter. They're not going to die. They're going to yeah. be okay. Yeah. It's only a couple hours. And to really connect with your spouse and let them see what a relationship is supposed to be like because they're going to feel so much more safe. Mm-hmm. They can't voice it, but they're going to feel safe when their mommy and daddy are together yeah. and they're happy and they see affection. They see what love looks like as opposed to you know, maybe a relationship that's a little strained because neither one of them is getting what they need. And human connection is so important. Yeah. So important to us just as people. And I think the more and more technology advances, the more we get away from that. Mm-hmm. So we really have to, because we're not doing it as much in our personal lives with text messages and social media, Right. we really have to make it a habit because it's easy to get away from because we're not doing it every day.
0: I think modeling behavior in relationships for girls, girls or boys, Mm -hmm. seeing how uh, the respect between a couple and the connection, um, you're 100% right. So my daughter recently told me, she's like, I love how much you and Lewis love each other. Mm -hmm. And she sees that respect back and forth. And I can feel like a groundedness in her now. Do you know what I mean? So it's Mm -hmm. like they feel there is a safety in having parents who love each other and take care of their relationship and I think it's a really beautiful message so thank you for sharing that because I didn't oh, even think about welcome. that but like I, I'm aware of how it affects our girls. Um, I wanted to pivot and ask you a question I ask everyone that comes. Mm-hmm. If you were to look at a version of your younger self, what age would she be and
1: what does she need from me? What would you tell her? So if I looked at my, I would say 28 year old self. Okay. Um, I... Because she would be a tired, exhausted mom who is trying to do everything who feels unfulfilled, but is living by society standards. Mm-hmm. And I would tell her, it's okay to it's okay to not be perfect. Mm-hmm. I would tell her, it's okay to let people know that you're struggling. Mm-hmm. It's okay to want to do something different and not feel guilty about it. And then I would also tell her, to have that one or two people that you have conversations with and you share your dreams with and what you're doing, because if you openly talk about it with everybody, you stand to hear everyone's opinion. Right. And none of their opinions matter. And they're all going to talk you out of being your best self. Yeah. And they're going to talk you out of designing a life you love and actually living it. But at the end of the day, none of them actually have to live your life. None of them have to feel what you feel. And so just... It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Just mm-hmm. go be you and strive to be the best version of yourself for yourself, for your husband, for your family, and forget society standards.
0: No, I love it. I think it's so important. We have a tendency to look for validation outside of ourselves so many times, or our ideas, or our d- desires, or dreams, or what have you. And so many times, it's it's not where it needs to be focused yes, right? Absolutely. you have to have that kind of confidence within yourself and I do agree that it's such a great idea to have a couple of people that you can confide
1: in mm-hmm. it won't kill your dreams right <laughs> you know, that right. can be supported trusted, trusted yes, people absolutely. yeah absolutely and who you know even though it's not their dream right um, that they can be like okay let's talk through this let's process this well, a and I love bit. that too I'm still going to cheer you on Well, and
0: sometimes they give you ideas. They're like, well, have Mm -hmm. you thought about this? Or you should call this person. I have a couple of friends like that. Where if I tell them anything, they're like, oh, interesting. I know so-and-so. And And you're like, oh, this is amazing.
1: Yeah. So like, I think
0: it's good to have those type of people in your life who are like not only rooting for you, they're not, there's no jealous, there's no comparison. There's just simply like, yes, you should do that. Let's figure it out.
1: Absolutely. I'm here to cheer you on and not tear you down.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. If you were to leave behind any gold nugget of wisdom or inspiration, if you were leaving this
1: earth and you wanted to leave something on it for the next gen, what would it be? It would be to truly soar your feet after leave the ground. And just go out there and do it. You're, You're going to fail forward. Don't be so, don't let so much fear of other people's opinions and failure and what might happen stop you from doing something. Because to get to the great, you have to give up the good. And there's gonna be struggle, but you'll get there, and it'll be worth oh, it.
0: Sometimes I feel like there's messages for me
1: <laughs>
0: in this podcast <laughs> on certain days. And as soon as you said that, I was like, "Oh, okay, I got it. Like I needed
1: to hear this today. I needed, this, <laughs> I needed to hear this today."
0: And I think that that's that's really beautiful. Give up the good to go after the great, and some that's like a life motto. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for being here and for sharing your gold and your story. Um, It's a beautiful story and love your spirit. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I love how deep Ashley went with me in talking about the importance of communication and how conflict is many times the door you need to enter to take your relationship from good to great. You can find Ashley on Instagram at Ashley underscore Callen. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. Gold listeners, please don't forget to sign up for your 30-day Live VIP experience at loveisviral.com, code gold VIP. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you influence. Pick up my new book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.